Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. Head from the side. Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounce on its point. Wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. All right, let's get this party started, right? Let's get Yo. it started. <laughs> let's get Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I am Emma Race, joined by Lucy Reese. Alicia sometimes. Felicity sometimes. Emma sometimes. <laughs> I just thought I'd mix all. it up. Yeah. Let's all be some. Do you know who sometimes today? Sometimes we have six. Today we only have four because Kate is in Shanghai in preparation for the big showdown in China. It's not another showdown. Sorry, I've used showdown inappropriately. And Nicole is in Tassie scoping for a um, a Tassie team. Is that correct? Neither of them are here. I'm so nervous. I thought you were going to say that she was in um, Shanghai for a derby. A derby. Oh, <laughs> Can I be in an honorary race today then? Well, that's why I thought I'd be a sometimes, just right. to even the ledger. So, the but sometimes yes. sisters. I think, I think yeah. we could be a band, Alicia, sometimes in the sisters. Race. Oh, yeah. I'd Did like to be a sometimes to know what it's like. Do people always say, this is a big question, do people go, do you say sometimes? Yeah. Like, What's they, your real name? Yeah. Yeah. And in banks, they would sometimes, is that with a S or... Is it a hyphenated summon times? Yeah, that's Does right. Does someone call it. you Simon Timmy? Yes, yes, I have got that a bit. And you know that episode of Friends where it was Chenand LeBong, his TV <laughs> week was coming in. Mine has been literally Telstra, sorry, a, com- a telephone company who I won't name, <laughs> um, gave me a, a bill that was sometimes Stephen. And, oh. right, so they kept charging me and then I kept calling saying, that is not my name. Do it they... does not make sense. And then they said, we can't cancel your account because we need sometimes Stephen on the phone. Oh, my, oh gosh. my God. That Did they ever years. confuse you for suddenly Susan? <laughs> <laughs> you betcha. I love oh, it. that's hilarious. You know, one of my sons came up with the genius idea the other day when we were filling out a form of, what if your name was actually block letters? <laughs> <laughs> Or blue ink. <laughs> While we're talking about names, <laughs> something awesome that's also name and football related happened this week that I saw a story that Jared Roughhead actually has a dog named after an athlete. <gasps> His dog is named after Carmelo Anthony, the so basketballer. Yeah, that is like a babushka doll I'm inside so of a babushka doll. That. Just FYI, anyone playing along at home that doesn't know that Lucy's dog is called Jared Roughhead. <laughs> It's the best thing ever. That is, is hilarious. Carmelo Anthony's dog named Lucy. That's conv- I don't play. That sport. would be amazing. That would be amazing. Mm. Uh, so well, you did reference it just a moment ago. The Derby, the Derby. The conversation <laughs> continues. Okay, I've just got a tip for you. You just have to remember, Derby goes bananas. Like if it, it's like Herbie Derby. If it's in WA, just think. <laughs> <laughs> this does not help. Why not? Well, why? What's 
bananas got to do with it? Bananas are more those Queensland. Games are like bananas. Like, did you see the oh, showdown? Oh, okay. Mm. Now I'll be like show banana. <laughs> show. Hang on. No, okay. it's the derb. It's the. Oh, you say potato. Are paying I good say money potato. For this. <laughs> people are not paying good money for this. People are just mm. paying their four cents a day, and they'll probably write a letter of complaint. Probably, to be honest. Um, the I've never thought that the showdown was such a big deal. I always think that those games are given those names, and really they're a bit of a letdown. But this was not a letdown at all. What an amazing game! Were you guys oh. just clutching the edge of your couch, just sitting on it, going, "What is happening mm. now?" Oh my I, goodness! I scre- we were screaming. We were all screaming at the TV. I reckon it was a great game of footy and I understand what you mean, but when it's two teams I don't barrack for, I'm really hardcore and I just go, yeah. Wow. But but I agree it was an amazing game. It's just I didn't have any joy or veins. Mm, I just felt like it was easier to enjoy it because we weren't invested. Like I I know a friend of mine who's an Adelaide fan was just lying in the fetal. Yeah, understandably. Yeah. Wow. Totally. Do you know I find with games sometimes I don't know who I'm – actually barracking for until the game starts. Mm. And in that one, I didn't know at the start, but in the last quarter, it all came. Like I went, Who was it? Who was am it? I, am I declaring? It was Adelaide. I was barracking for Adelaide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, you know, I've got a vested interest in watching um, Jordi Gallucci play and um, I was so excited like watching that ending. I was like, they've got it. They don't have it. They've got it. They don't have it. Yeah. It was exhausting. Like I- imagine being at that game. Oh, I love that, though, that you don't know who you barrack for till some point. Mm. But at the time, I guess I was just going both ways. I was I was not taking sides. I was pashing both of them. Well, I was going for Port. Were you? Yeah. Why is that? I, um, no reasons no. I can declare on air. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I think I go for Adelaide because I love Eddie Betts, but then I really love Chad Wingard as well. And yeah, I just Eddie love Betts. watching the magic of them. And it made me feel, it. you know, so much stuff happens off field that can break your heart that then mm. you see a game like that and I go, I yeah. just love this game. Good I just footy, love yeah. it. It's just good for footy. And everyone goes, how good is footy? And you just love it. You I know? know, I loved it. Um, touching the umpires was, I can't believe <laughs> that this is a thing now. That it happened last week and Tom Hawkins took the week. And now I'm thinking he's probably regretful that he took the week because now you're allowed to touch umpires and there's no repercussions. Yeah. Well, well, in, uh, just just to reiterate, I mean, uh, it's it was said by the AFL's legal counsel, Jeff Gleeson, last week, and we've got to remember this. This is one of those instances where the force of the contact is not the point, that it is about the umpires, yet, of course, Charlie Kernow and Brother Ed, not found guilty of intentional contact. They were both fined, but... Um, you know, Ed put, placed an open hand on umpire Nathan Williamson during the match against Essendon um, and what appeared to be a dismissive gesture. So if this is not the point, what is the point? Um, and then Gold Coast co-captain Stephen May was fined 1000 for making contact with umpire over the weekend, successfully arguing, arguing that it was careless rather than intentional. What did you guys think of the touches? I just find it really hard to work out what the rule is now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I saw that um, Tom Hawkins' wife had tweeted um, WTF and then um, yeah. deleted it did afterwards. She? But I think that's the general feeling. It's like, you know, they're in fluoro. You know who they are on the field. You, you, you don't touch them. And I, I guess for me also... I'm trying to think of the statistical chances of two brothers in a team. <laughs> mm. Like, you know, both 
committing the, the same sort of offence. No, but in they the didn't do that. Match. Hang on, did both the Kurnos go for umpire touching? Or yeah, they, yes, both, they both did. went for that. Mm-hmm. And they both got fined. I my I find the Ed Kurno one so much harder to That's right. reconcile because that is so similar to the Tom Hawkins one. Yeah. But I guess um, because Tom pleaded guilty, we don't know what would have happened if he, if he hadn't. So, like, if he'd contested the charge, maybe he would have ended up with a fine. But so, I thought it was a really teachable moment because then Chris Scott came out and said, no, I support that. Like, yeah. we can't have people touching umpires. And I, it just seemed really black and white, didn't uh, it? And I think it was. And, and I heard Mr P on um, the ABC on Saturday morning on Limo's show talking about um, those decisions. And he said, there's no grey area. Um, there's no room for any kind of... But clearly there is. Mm, and, I mean, yeah. the Stephen May one, it looked like he was showing the umpire something and kind of went too yes. far. That was a bit Are weird. Are you allowed to role play with an umpire? Are <laughs> like, you allowed to do theatre sports with an umpire? <laughs> I felt like it was charades, just went a little bit and encroached on personal yeah. space. Yeah. You could tell it wasn't aggressive, yeah. but at what point? And it's really interesting to hear Greg Williams, the former captain midfielder, just saying, you know, he... Different incident, but um, he was uh, suspended for touching an umpire and for quite a while. And that was he's quite saying a forceful touch. Mm, it, it was really very different. Mm. It was really touch in mm. quotation mm. marks. Um, but what is the line? And yeah. if we were conspiracy theorists, I would be wondering what the AFL is trying to get through this week because we're all talking about something else. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know. I, I mean? often yes. think that, that they drop a red herring, so you're yes. like, look over here while we do something over there. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't think that's this one. Mm. I don't know. I just think this is inconsistent. But they could appeal. It could well get appealed by the AFL, mm. surely. Because who – well, the umpires, do they have a – Well, I think the umpires to... gave evidence and one of them said, I don't even know that he touched me. You know, it was mm. – they were you – know, neither of them had an issue with what had gone on. Didn't the umpire with Hawkins say, oh, it didn't even feel like a fly? Oh, no, that was someone else. Yeah. Sorry, come that, back. That but worth it. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, Felicity, you've yep. got your eyes on China for this week. I do. I do. You know, I was really struck by the difference in, you know, last year there was so much hype about the China game and, I mean, how much of that was actually about the game and how much was about the jumper. Like, do you remember that last year when yes. at the last minute David Koch realised that the Gold Coast were wearing the Chinese <laughs> national <laughs> colours and um, there was panic stations. But um, last year was, I, I don't think, a great outcome in any way, shape or form for the Gold Coast Suns. They, um, they flew their economy um, apart from four players are allowed to sit up the front, so the really tall players in the team, the, the Ruck, the two forwards and Gary Ablett. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Um, <laughs> the rest of them sat down the back. They had, uh, you know, a delay on the tarmac. They um, everything went wrong. They they got there. They got absolutely smashed. Um, this year, the Gold Coast have not really, drunk, but they no, lost. no, yeah. they lost badly. Um, this year, the Gold Coast has really taken it in hand and said, "Look, we're not just playing along this time. They've got their own airline sponsor because you know last year Port was whew, sitting back in business class mm. with their airline sponsor and as many really, pretzels as they want. Yeah, directing the show with the AFL over there. And um, this year, the Gold Coast has gone. No, we're going to make this a Queensland tourism event. They've got airline sponsors. They've got a five day long business um, sort of. Uh, and tourism seminar going on with hundreds of um, guests coming into a, a lovely hotel in Shanghai. Um, they're really taking it in hand and going, we're going to make the most out of this. So whether that translates to on the field or not, I don't mm. know. But the, the players, it was very sweet reading there. Oh, it was really nice. We all got to sit up the front. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> How do you have a whole plane full of business class? That's interesting. But did you see the articles this week saying, you know, Shanghai, could it, it could take off. This could be a thing. We could play internationally. The time zone similar to Perth or the same. Um, really, on what, on what planet? Well, it, it, there's a couple of interesting things I've been reading about it. Um, on a diplomatic level, um, this is the, our trade minister's gone over there and it's the first time in about eight months that an Australian um, government official's been invited to China. So we've... It's sort of broken a little bit of the the freeze that was going on there. Um, but also um, there's some talk out of Port Adelaide um, about eventually when they have an AFLW team um, looking to take the women's game over there because they're saying in China everybody's starting from scratch. So there's a really great opportunity to go in and teach boys and girls at the same junior levels um, the sport. Um, it's not like in other markets or other countries where the boys already have a significant advantage. Um, so I think they're seeing a huge, you know, mm. opportunity for for growth. And you know, Port's already got a, a major Chinese company as one of their their club sponsors. You know, there's a whole lot of money coming back this way. So I think that they'll keep going with it. But one of the the other talking points is um, next year. I think the idea of St Kilda being the team to go over there has been flagged. Um, so whether the the Gold Coast if it goes really well for them this year, they might they might sort of put their foot down and go, no, let's make this an annual thing, not a, not a derby, but a, a <laughs> annual. <laughs> we need the, the Mandarin word for derby. But, um, yeah, they, they might want to hold on to it if it works out economically um, well for them as well. Well, it's interesting because the Suns have got to do something. I just really, I fear for that franchise. I feel like I was watching the game on the weekend. There was only 6,500 people at the game. They've obviously been uh, a bit hamstrung by the Commonwealth Games and they've been on the move. But um, I just feel like when, I mean, they're 11 years in, is that right? I think it's something like that. And with all of the um, the trade um kind of benefits that they got from being a new franchise, they really should have seen way more success mm. than they've seen thus far. And I'm I'm concerned about um like where did the where does the supporter base come from in the Gold Coast? I know a lot of people move from football loving states to the Gold Coast to live, but maybe those people already have teams. And I'm I'm curious about the research mm. that the AFL did into <clears throat> developing the game into that corner of Australia. Because I don't see the depth of support there for the team. And when you look at, compare it to say, I mean, Essendon, Carlton, I know they're two powerhouse teams, but they're not, you know, in the, they're not going to win the flag this year, either of them. 45,000 on the weekend. That's extraordinary, right? Yeah. I think, we're, well, we're hearing that um, there are, is enormous growth in grassroots in that part of Australia. So I think... Um, what we haven't seen is it translate to people going along and watching necessarily. Mm. Yeah. Sorry oh. to interrupt Felicity. No, that's okay. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, I, I think that the difficulty in comparing is you're looking at a market in Queensland where they're very used to rugby and um, with rugby league, it, it's not a, it doesn't attract huge crowds. And so, you know, if you compare it to the other sports up there, maybe it's actually doing really well. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're more a television sport really these days. Anecdotally though you hear that the Gold Coast fans it's it's not so easy to get to the ground they might live further away than mm-hmm. just around the the immediate area so it, it is a, a wonder how they're going to get people the geography just says everything I think. Uh, you know in the same environment a long time ago we would have seen North Melbourne getting pressured to move from the AFL so this is the AFL's team when does the competition put pressure on the AFL to say this is the team that needs to to go to Tassie, like, and we changed the name from the Suns to the Ferns. 
Apples. To the <laughs> apples. Oh, to the, that's so cute, the Tasmanian apples. I could quite go for that team, I reckon. I've got, you know, sometimes we come out with really stupid stories from our childhood. Mm-hmm. Here's one. Every time, <laughs> <laughs> every time I look at the Gold Coast um, uniform, I remember a time when I walked out wearing something that was red and yellow and Lucy looked at me and she goes, you look like eggs and sauce. <laughs> Oh, I still think that. I still think that's like eggs and sauce, but I, I think, think that's that. delicious. I love those colours. I, I love their uniforms. Do you? Yeah, I do. I don't. Why? Eggs I and sauce. I feel like they're not. I just. I have a real thing in my mind about what traditional football colours are, and that is not it. That looks Ronald McDonald to mm. me, if I'm allowed mm. to drop the name of such a clown. <laughs> no, I like it. Mm. Um, Essendon are on the ropes. They are dropping. So Mark Neild has the assistant coach has walked away. What I thought was fascinating about this is it's been dressed up as he's decided that he's, look, he's not that invested in football and he's done an MBA and he just wants to pursue his other um, avenues of, you know, career. I'm like, yeah, that's fine, but it's round nine. Hmm. Like when you sign up to be an assistant coach, you know how long the season goes for. You're in for the long I'm haul. really shocked that they're trying to push that line. Is there other reasons? Well, Essendon are not performing on the field as people had forecast that they should be. There was talk of premiers. Yeah, there was, and they're disappointed. So I think that people like Wusha. I don't think people are unhappy with him as being the coach, but I think that they're unhappy with how the – you know, how this season's rolling out for them. Felicity, you're our Essendon correspondent. Yeah, but my, my inside word from my unhappy family is I think they would like to see some big statements from Wusha um, rather than some, you know, it's all, it's okay, it's mm. ticking along, we'll get there. I think they want to see some decisive changes and moves and whether this is the first of them. I always find it weird when you're going so badly and the first person you get rid of is someone not at the top or mm. on the field. Or, you know, it's, but, you know, maybe Neil had a really big influence on what was going on out there. Um, Time to play babies. And maybe they could take a leaf, you know, maybe they could find a ronk. A ronk they need to play. Because we uh, when you said it's time to play babies, I was yeah, like, what? what? Put, put a nappy on oh, a yeah, water and I have a dummy oh, and stuff. Yeah. No. Just that's ro- a whole ro- other thing. <laughs> rock them all off to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. No, you mean play some little play, kids? Play the, play the youngsters, you know. Is it ronk or ronky? It is ronk. Ronk. The ronk. The ronk. It rhymes with gronk. I love it. Sounds like you should be playing in the cramps or something. I know. I can roll. I think you probably could. Seven goals, ten tackles. Yeah. The new Brooke Lachlan. Mm. Unbelievable. What an unbelievable effort. Um, Can you imagine going to bed that night? You're just being like, I did it. Good good job today. (laughs) Well done, me. Totally well done, me. He was so calm, too, like in the interview afterwards. He was so calm. I love that. You know, you would dream about that, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's absolutely. Absolute dream. Especially when you're playing in a team where Buddy Franklin is your full forward and then you go like, oh. I yeah, good luck getting goals. back in the team, yeah. hey? <laughs> I know. I know. It's amazing. I thought it, it was extraordinary that he was able to kick that many goals without that level of body oil on him that Buddy requires <laughs> for aerodynamics. As it turns out. <laughs> yeah, extraordinary. <laughs> okay, are we ready to melee, ladies? This is quite nice. I don't think the other two should come back. <laughs> okay, so um, did you guys read the um, article? On, there's been a lot of talk about coaching this week and Caro wrote an amazing mm. article as well. Lucy? Yeah, I thought Caro's article raised some really interesting points um, and maybe you know a little bit of information that gives a bit of insight into why there might be no more, there might not be women coaches in, in the AFLW or the AFL at this point in time. 
Um, one of the points she talked about was the failure of um, the other coaching fraternity, so the male coaches, to really mentor and, and welcome the female coaches into the coaching space or into the coaching box. Um, there was also, she talks about an indication that women coaches have been and footy managers have had to do a range of roles, not only just coaching, but, you know, all the way through to property steward and looking after jumpers, which I'm, I'm not sure that you'd see Alistair Clarkson having to, to worry about something like that. Um, she raised the point of there being lack of meaningful support evidenced by um, coaches having to use annual leave um, or footy managers having mm-hmm. to use annual leave for personal development, professional development, I mean, um, or for doing their, their actual job, which, you know, we know that, that that's happened. Um, I think the thing that I was left with was, and that this worries me the most, is this idea that strong, assertive women are demanding or egotistical or abrasive and not grateful enough. And this idea that we should be grateful for any crumbs that come our way. And I wonder if that is the prevailing sentiment. I mean, the thing that keeps being raised is that no, there was only one female coach who applied for the job at Carlton. I think the big question Carol asks this as well is why is that? Yeah, and it was interesting because did you see Chris Judd talking to Carol about this on their television show? Chris Judd, who is far, you know, some people move over from playing to commentary and you go like, oh, I really like that guy. Yeah. That's not happened for me with Chris Judd. No. I'm just going to put that out there and say I loved watching him play, but I don't love watching him speak um, or write. In fact, I feel like, I actually feel like he says things that he doesn't truly believe, that he's just trying to be – that's a very combative show and I feel like they all bring things that they want to have explode and make the news or something like that and I feel like he's being very combative in – like he pulled a face and said to Caro, well, what about netball? There's no men coaching Uh netball at the highest level. And she just rolled her eyes and said, Chris – there is a long history of women being involved in football, mm. uh, like a hundred years worth, and they have earned the right to be there. And you know, we don't have the same demonstration in netball, and um, and I think with the Carlton job specifically, I think that because he works at Carlton and he says I went out and tried to find, you know, I was curious at why there wasn't more women applying for the job is that he's taking it in that defensive mindset that yeah. he's not opening his ears and saying you know what I'm listening I couldn't find one therefore you're right we've got an issue what are we going to do to address it he doesn't see that it's his issue or it's his um a part of his responsibility or his job or the charter of what the Colton Football Club are offering to make a difference in that space. He's just saying, I'm sitting back, I'm saying apply, you didn't apply, not my problem. Exactly. And the bigger question there, I think, if you're Carlton, should be why don't women want to apply for the job at your club? Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, there's as tempting as the free car parking was on that add-on seek. Um, and, the, <laughs> and the 20% off the 20% merch store. 20% off the merchandise store. Mm. Um, that that was know, on there? Yeah. yeah. They put the ad for the job on seek with these sorts of benefits. Um, it's, I've never seen anything of its kind, I have to say, mm, that it, ad. It was very, what? what's the opposite of professional? 
Shit. <laughs> Shit. But why wouldn't you? Why if you're in? Why wouldn't you go to Brett Goddard and say, "Hey, come and apply for this job. You've won a premiership." You know the amount of times that we hear people talking about male coaches and talking about how valuable they are. I mean, I've heard this week John Worsfold be talked about in the most glowing terms mm. because he has got credibility from former jobs. We've got someone who just won an AFLW Grand Final mm. who's not employed, and there are jobs available. Mm. I'm like, go and make that a sweet deal for someone. Go pick. Her up. I don't understand it. I can um, saw some things this week that it looks like Andrew McLeod might be the front runner for the the job at Adelaide, which I think people are really happy about. You know, he's been an assistant over there in the women's. Um, I did, and I don't want to read too much into it, but I did read the comment that he would be looking at the role as the AFLW coach and a combined role with the academy and communities, which mm. so still sounds a, a little bit full timey to me. Yeah. There was a really interesting article which I think we tweeted out during the week by um Pogasol from the San Antonio Spurs and he was talking about Becky Hammond and you know mm. we mentioned you mentioned her last week, Alicia. Um he addresses a lot of these points uh, because there is discussion about, you know, you know, whether she can make it as a head coach. I really liked the way that he kind of went through the different arguments. The one I liked the most was he talks about, you know, people saying, oh, it's just a PR move. Um, and he says, well, as if that would happen. But as part of that, he says, Do, would you really expect Coach Pop, Popovich, to develop his staff any differently mm. than he develops his players? Of course not. And I think that's key. I think, you know, when you see someone like Popovich, who's yep. just an awesome coach who has clearly, um, you know, been an amazing mentor and teacher, I think that's perhaps something that might be lacking in this sport. I here. agree. You know, I would encourage everyone to read that article because I don't often read articles with a highlighter, but I did. Mm-hmm. And um, there was one thing, <laughs> you, you went more copy. highlighter than me. Um, one thing really struck me, like, you know, when you have a light bulb moment, I had one of them, where... Um, he talked at one point about how the NBA was beginning to reflect the larger world and um, out there in terms of what they're doing in, in the areas of you know equity and employment and things like that. And it got me thinking, are we, do we need to flip things? Like, are we expecting too much? Like, do we look to the AFL to lead change um, as opposed to maybe everything's changed and the AFL actually needs to catch up? Because we, you know, so often we look at them and we say, well, they're running the programs on, mm. you know, on different social issues. Um, you know, we have different rounds to, you know, to, to raise awareness of things. Maybe the rest of us have already got there and it's actually the AFL needs to look to the outside world and, and catch up to what everybody else is well, doing think- and, and reflect society rather than us reflecting what the AFL is trying to drive. And I think you're right about that, but I also think that when you're talking about development pathways, it's years of work, that mm. the groundwork that needs to have been laid, mm. that we haven't seen laid. And, it's, it's, and it's, it's like it's caught them by surprise all mm. of a sudden, the female revolution in football. But it's also attitude changes just out there in the community because if I think about, you know, I love football, I've watched football my whole life and I have kids who play, I have never put my hand up to coach. Mm. And do you know why? Because the idea of walking into my local club and saying, yep, I back myself that I think I can do it. And I guess my overwhelming fear is that I wouldn't be supported. And that's no comment on those, the people who I know and love and stand on the sidelines with every single week. But I think that I would be really, really 
scared of being told, no, actually, you're really not good enough. And it's being overlooked too, because I remember at Kick I would um, say, okay, I'll, I'll come for mm. some of the drills. And they're like, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's not that they, they – they, they, and then they welcome you, but they just overlook you. So what we might need to see is at junior clubs, if you can identify a woman um, or a girl – who is interested in coaching, maybe you offer the opportunity for them to shadow and sit next to and travel with and sit alongside the male coach that you have instated. And then that's how the process starts because I too would be terrified, Lucy. Mm. And we've received, I reckon we've probably received 10 emails of late of people saying that happened at my club. I was too terrified. I put my hand up and said I wanted to do it. And then all of a sudden it was just a guy that was appointed and, and it's probably just fear from both sides. Exactly. So that's what we probably need to do at grassroots. You know, I think there was even, we had someone this week com- um, contact us to say, you know, they're the coach and the team manager's a male. And every time all the, the comments from the other coach and from the other team, um, from family, um, you know, parents and things are all, they all go to the, the team manager. They all want to talk to the man. Yep. Not to the lady who's coaching. <laughs> the, yep. lady. the lady. The lady. I, oh, just something really quickly, the thing that's exciting uh, from the AFL is six promising female field umpires have been picked for the National Academy, uh, established to fast track their development. So several of the six have already officiated at the AFLW or state league level. So they're getting their skills up and then uh, they're going uh, to do this. They're around 15,300 umpires in AFL competitions across the country, but only... 1,433 or 9% are female, so, but the, but it's growing. Do you think it's funny how when they're commentating the football, I'll often hear people use the name Eleni. They won't say the goal umpire. They'll always identify Eleni or they'll identify yes. Chelsea. I find it really interesting that they don't just get a pass. They, they get mm. identified with their human name. Yes, but also like last week there was a female goal umpire and the goal went through and the commentator said he didn't even come off his line. Um, Do you know, I think that's more about the, um, you know, when you look for a point of difference. It's like they always call Razor Ray. Razor Ray. Ray. They never say the umpire, they say Razor Ray because there's a point of difference. Yeah, that's a good point. And also I've noticed David Roden started getting some um, senior matches as well and I think that they refer to him because he was also a former player. Um, Are we ready to talk about Joel Wilkinson in, you know, just general terms? Obviously this is a huge story that came out during the week um, that he is taking the AFL to the Human Rights Commission. Um, This is definitely one that we will um, not discuss in detail today because Dr. Kate isn't here and she's going to be great to help us unpack this, but obviously the story will be ongoing. Um, But there was one thing that I did want to say about it and I contacted Shelley Ware during the week um, just to kind of run my thoughts past her as well because nothing about us without us and I didn't want to speak on behalf of um, what Indigenous people may feel who are in and around the game. But I said to her, after seeing um, Adam Goods walk away from the game and after hearing the experiences of Hareti Elamumba and Joel Wilkinson, who are all people of colour, I keep coming back to the dismissal that I hear from the mainstream media, from the all-white male mainstream media, who have attached attributes. And I think we've probably, you might have heard an interview with Jimmy Bartell as well, but attached attributes to these people um, like not a team player, troubled or difficult, you know, those kinds of um, descriptors. And I'm thinking that beyond the stats and the champion data, footballers are judged as are 
female coaches, and we've heard we've been talking about this too, judged on a merit-based system within footy clubs. And the merit-based systems about mateship and teamwork and attitude and they are all and they have all been created by the white male merit-based system and they're all judged by mostly white male merit-based advocates, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I think what I can't ignore is that this is the third time Mm. the now and we've had we've heard that people have come out to support Joel Wilkinson with supporting evidence that things like this happen to them too we don't need to look further than Nikki Winmar to say that this is a pattern of behavior that is being reported and when it's reported we go immediately to champion data and to their on-field impact and call it from there but it's a much broader concern I think and I think that these issues and maybe these guys and so many other people have faced in footy clubs is a representation of the greater racism which is inherently woven into the way that we create laws and the way that we govern this country and that we see that whittled down into and compacted into the the laws Mm. around the way that we govern footy and sports clubs. And so I just would urge people to keep a really open mind and say that this is not this is not one of its kind. This is something that we have heard before and we need to reserve our judgment and to listen and to really listen and to take this as a moment that if Joel Wilkinson has something he needs to tell us about, then we should be able to sit back and listen because we know language matters and we talk about that here all the time. I know I'm preaching to the converted. But that was what I kind of came away thinking. I completely agree. There's this immediate defensiveness, isn't there, that, um, oh, no, it's because you know, you're not a good player or, you know, you didn't, you know, you weren't going to get yeah, or, all of those yeah. sorts of things. Um, I look at someone like um, like Joel coming out and, and talking about what happened now I look at that from a scale of he knows what he's in for because he's seen the people who've spoken up before him mm-hmm. and how horrific that has been. So he's made a judgment call on actually it's it's worse not to speak up, mm. you know. And so I put a huge weight on, you know, the bravery and the, you know, the stories that, that he says because who wants to put themselves up for you know, what the general public is mm. and the media is going to do to you. Totally. And, you know, the other thing is to keep an open mind. We A lot of this country has sat back and watched Colin Kaepernick take a knee and been applauded and applauded him and said, amazing, what an amazing way to take a stand. Now it's happening here. We need to look at it and reserve the right to judge. We need to uh, kind of approach that with the same open ears and open eyes, even though we might feel threatened that the racism is going to land on our doorstep. Well, that's the key word there, threatened. And I think in the States too, so many people are threatened and they're not listening and they're not acknowledging just because this has happened doesn't say that something about you as a person. You you don't have to be, just because you're a white male doesn't mean you're, you have to be part of the problem. You can be part of the solution. It feels like this wall is cracking around and if they just let the wall fall down, it's going to be okay for them. Mm. It's going to be okay. In the um, the article we were talking about before, the open letter about coaching, um, Paul Gasol made a, a statement that um, that said it goes to the idea, it goes to this idea that as we're making all of these amazing strides in society in terms of increasing our social awareness and making efforts towards ideas like diversity and equality and just sort of creating this more inclusive world, somehow sport should be an exception. It's this idea for some people that sport should almost be this haven where it's okay to be closed-minded. It's like a bubble for all of our worst ignorance.
Our guest today is Angie Green. She's the CEO of Stand Up Events, which is an organisation that aims to stamp out homophobic and transphobic language and behaviour around sporting clubs and organisations and the whole wide world, actually. How are you, Ange? <laughs> Good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It is so nice to have you back. You were our second ever guest on the Outer Sanctum podcast, so you really took a punt on us early and oh. we have enjoyed watching your journey from that very first time that we met you where Kate and I were just reminiscing that we all ordered coffees and you ordered a gin. <laughs> yep. It was Respect. the afternoon, by the way. It wasn't... It was 12.30. Yeah, that, that is the afternoon. <laughs> Um, but since we first saw you there, we've obviously followed stand-up events. We've been to a couple of your events too. Yes. Um, and we've seen the journey that you've been taking going out and speaking to people about trying to change language and behaviours around that are negative for mm-hmm. people who are um, LGBTIQ people. Yeah. How has it been going? <laughs> you look exhausted. Uh, yeah, no, well, thank you. Um, no, it's been, it, it's been a real journey in the truest sense so and by the way thank you so much for having me again you I obviously follow you guys as well and you're smashing it and I just love you and you've always been so supportive so thank you so much um it's been very interesting um there's certainly been uh a few wins along along the way I guess you could say um however having said that with every win in any kind of area of social change there's a lot of hurdles and a lot of negativity as well, which is something that is still very much daily and it's still very prominent. And it's really fascinating I'm coming into 2018 because, you know, Australia did say yes to marriage equality and the amount of people that I've had conversations with are just like, oh, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, oh, what do you what do you mean? And they're like, oh, well, we achieved marriage equality. So like, Essentially, we're they're alluding to the fact that we're done. And all I can say to them at that stage is we are not done. Um, marriage, achieving marriage equality was massive and such an important and positive step moving forward. However, can we please not forget what happened during that time? Almost 40% of Australia voted no. Um, the attempted suicide rates and suicide rates rates increased within the community and also it was a period of people's lives where people were mentally, physically and emotionally traumatised and are still, you know, very much going through that process. And, you know, I was just saying to the people before coming in here, um, I got an email last night from, which of course will remain anonymous, but got an email from a 16-year-old last night asking if he could volunteer at one of our upcoming events because he said, you know, I'm a student, I I, I can't afford it at this stage. However, I'm 16 years old, I go to school, I'm gay and I have no idea how to feel about myself. And that just makes me go, my God, there's still so much work to do. And the thought that anyone at any age of their life would feel... um you know, questioning themselves or feeling doubt or shame or guilt or embarrassment or fear is just completely unacceptable. And, you know, from from marriage equality to, you know, the, the sporting cultures and, and any type of environment, um, we're still not at a stage where people can feel like they can be their authentic selves in ev- in every single area of life. And it's completely unacceptable that that's still happening. 
And since we last had you on the show, which was a couple of years ago now, when, as Emma said, when you were first starting out, there's, there has been an enormous amount of progress or change in football generally. Um, mm-hmm. And you alluded to some of that. We've, we've had pride games mm-hmm. and both AFLM and AFLW a very visible and prominent um, LGBT presence in mm-hmm. the women's game, especially um, a lot more activity around around football generally, which I think is, has been very positive and constructive. But I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, so um, I apologise for doing this. But, you know, if, if you had a magic wand and there were one or two or three things that you would like to see happen over the next five years yep. in football, you know, developments you would like to see, what are they? What, what, where is it that you would like to see us heading as a as a cult, sporting culture? Yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, I think everything that's happening externally is incredible so the the pride games and the and the rainbow colors and um you know people i guess more proactively speaking about this uh topic if you will however what stand up events is really main like our main focus on especially when it comes to the education side of things is the internal what's happening internally um in the sporting cultures and we are still very much not there yet i think to date um i've spoken personally to i think 25 or 27 uh, male team dominated clubs um, male dominated clubs sorry and that's ranging from grassroots to afl and um i'm not sure whether i said this when i first met you all um two two and a half years ago but i still ask i never want to put anyone personally on the spot but i'll say you know have you or do people constantly use words such as faggot poof you know what have you in in this locker room and still to date a hundred percent of hands go up and you know we very much speak a lot about you know casual homophobia and biophobia and transphobia and what have you and like oh I didn't you know I don't mean faggot in that way or that's so gay in that way like don't be ridiculous don't be so precious and it's like that type of language has real connotations and real impact on certain people, regardless of your sexuality and or gender, I know a lot of straight people who get affected by by that, um, you know, by that certain language and behaviour. But it's what I really, really urge people to do is, I actually view walking past that type of language and behaviour the same as condoning it. And so, what I would absolutely, and everyone at stand up events and movie may would love more than anything is to call it out, not in an aggressive way. But to shift the culture enough where individuals are continuously standing up for themselves and standing up for other people as well. So it has this ripple effect where there is a completely zero tolerance nature to this language and behaviour. We know that there are gay players, male players playing. We know that, you know, but the fact that that no one has been able to be their authentic selves by, you know, rocking up to the best and fairest or the brown low or, you know, at social events just being like, this is my partner. The fact that no one has openly been able to do that yet speaks volumes about where mm. we're at. So I know, lovely, that I did not answer. No, But it's like I just, you know, we, we have – I think we have to really go to the core of focusing on things internally – before we can see the real, 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 real change happening externally. Yeah. We've seen some beautiful scenes of you speaking at schools and sporting clubs and, and lots of um, some situations where boys have felt or maybe girls as well have felt um, 
that that's been a great moment for them to reveal their true selves and to stand up and that's not obviously you don't put that on people at all but that that's an opportunity for people to stand up and say this is who I really am Mm. but talk to us about the greater picture of the work that you're doing with Monash University Mm. and where stand-up is heading with trying to make a really significant change socially. Yeah so I you know when I started stand-up events um you know, we've got a great committee behind us, great team, great ambassadors and, and what have you. And I was like, I nothing, um, no, all of it is worth it. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. But it's like, I need to know that we're, that what we're doing, if it is actually making a change, and I wanted to see measurable change. And so as of last year, we partnered with Monash University. And what we're doing is we're creating customised preventative programs to implement into male um, dominated team sports. Um, we're focusing on the AFL at this stage um, and focusing around males aged between 16 and 20 uh, to do the best we can to eradicate uh, that type of um, discriminatory and casual, intentional or unintentional, um, you know, kind of language and, and behaviour. And we, we've got Monash on board to come with us to push certain, uh, you know, tools in place to actually see whether things have changed, um, you know, before and after after we've come in and, you know, we're training up um, AFL and AFLW players to be part of the process because what we want is we want stand-up events to be practical and sustainable so this can continue for, for a long time with a great, um, support system behind us um, because we know research tells us that you know there's an indication to believe that around 50 percent of young gay or male gay males are eliminating eliminating themselves um, from team dominated sport at a young age and again it's just not okay either limiting themselves eliminating themselves or going into uh, individual sports where they don't feel like they have to represent a team Angie, I, you you mentioned before um, that sometimes when you go into some of these clubs, people are keen to be defensive or to defend their behaviour mm. and say, look, if I use this particular word, I don't mean anything by it. I'm mm. not homophobic. I'm not transphobic. And this kind of um, instinct to, to defend oneself and to be defensive, yeah. which is something we've spoken about a lot on this show recently, especially in relation to the public response to someone like Adam Goods. Um, yeah. Um, I wanted to to talk about your dad and his work because he's a person who is a legend of AFL football, Russell Green, who many of our listeners will know, a premiership player for Hawthorne, and who speaks publicly frequently with stand-up events um, uh, about his own role and what Mm. he sees as his own role, reflecting on his own role in having used that kind of language and helped um, to perpetuate... um, uh, some of the problems that you're speaking yeah. about. Tell us a little bit about your dad and and because he seems like he's got such a, an open heart. He's so prepared to reflect on himself and yeah. be um, completely transparent about his past and to, to try and make a positive change. Tell us about him yeah. and the work he's doing. Uh, Dad's Russell is, <laughs> is absolutely incredible. He's certainly uh, my hero and what I really love the most about his story and as we all know he's very honest and he's very transparent and you know when um my brother Brent came out to him uh he just absolutely broke down and the reason why he did was um because right then and there he reflected on potentially how much damage he may have done as a 
a younger man. Um, certain, like the colourful language that we've spoken about was prevalent within his language and um, he openly says his biggest regret in football and in life is is not knowing how many people that he may have hurt. Um, and so what he does is what we always talk about at stand-up events, which is, you know, individuals actually have so much more power than they they may perceive. Dad even works at a special school in, in Cranbourne and he I think he started about five years ago and there was a lot of colourful language around his um, in his classrooms and he would always call it out. And so this is going from racism to, to gender to sexuality and just said, in my classroom, that is not okay. And this is why. And very gently and, you know, I don't think anger gets us anywhere. So having these kind of open discussions and honest discussions and um, through that, he says that he hardly hears it anymore on the playground. It's it, Some teachers have said that it's given them permission to feel like they can do the same. So again, that ripple effect that we were speaking about and, I will never forget um, maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago, I received um, an email from a young woman who was was a student at that school and um, was hurting herself because she was um, transgender. And a month before leaving school, uh, she told Russell and since then she hasn't hurt herself and she has come out as 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 female and and um and as transgender and she said she openly said in that email that it was because of all the times that Russell stopped the bullying um on the playground in school that you know that gave her the strength and I and and dad was the first person that she she told so something as remarkable as that but purely just from standing up for other people and and not condoning what you believe is not right um and you know he he's very open about the fact that you know because you always hear these things like oh you know people can't change or you know uh, I don't even know the saying but like a dog can't learn new tricks or what have you they absolutely can and that comes through constant awareness and education and listening and learning from from one another and he is a significantly changed man and he absolutely loves doing what he does whether it's for us, Outer Sanctum, Joy FM, Proud to Play, um, all these other incredible platforms. Um, he'll do anything that he can purely because he thinks and knows that it's the right thing to do. Oh, I can attest to what an impact he has because a few weeks ago at the Hawthorne Pride Group launch he spoke and there was barely a dry eye in the house. Yeah. So I think he, he um, makes an enormous difference and um, I think you should be very proud of him. I'm very proud, yeah. The thing is, and that your family already had left a legacy, a sporting legacy, but you and your dad and all of your family are actually rewriting the legacy and you're leaving something that's so much greater than just being able to put bat to ball or oh. foot to ball. And I have seen how it has worn you down, my dear friend, yeah. and I'm so proud of you and I know it's hard. I know what you're doing is really hard and I know that you take on all of the hurts and but it's making a difference and where Russell has saved lives, you're saving lives every day too and in a space where it didn't exist before, you're really making a difference. When you're um, 
at full flight with your rainbow cape on <laughs> and a couple of champagnes under the belt. And a There's, gin. Do you know who she reminds me of? You haven't seen this movie. I've talked to you about this before, Trolls. If you've seen Trolls, Princess Poppy, that's who you are. Okay. If Beyonce is on and if you've got the rainbow cape on, I just wait and so do my kids. I stand by for a full Princess Poppy experience, which we got last year at Movie in May. It was absolutely beautiful. My kids were there in full rainbows. Rainbow. They took the stage. They took they the just, stage with yeah. the dancers. Move in May is such a beautiful celebration of acceptance and support and it's coming up and people should get involved because you, it's like you do a lap of the temper. It's just like a disco or something. Yeah. It's something fun at every yeah. it's, station. It's pretty ridiculous. Like it's like, <laughs> but it's, we, we love it so much. And, yeah, it's this year it's on Sunday, um, May 20th. And for people, for the listeners that, that don't know what CG Movie May is, it's um, an event in support of International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia. Um, but we really put the fun in, in Fun Run. Um, you can run, walk, move, stand. You can literally do whatever. You, dance. You can do whatever you want. And there's entertainment all around the tan. And then it results in a post-event celebration um, full of drinks and, and DJs. And and what it is, you know, this isn't, um, this isn't a gay event or a trans event. This is a people event come exactly as you are this is an event that is that welcomes absolutely anyone and everyone that believes in equality regardless of their sexuality and or gender because at the end of the day we are all people we all deserve to be embraced for exactly who we are and that's exactly what movie may is how can people get involved and they just google move in may and oh if you could uh, you know, uh yeah if, um, so weird you are. <laughs> uh, if yeah, people if they uh, went to our website, um, which is www.standupevents.com.au, um, you can see the the link there. Um, tickets are thirty five dollars, and some people have asked why is it ticketed, and the reason it, it is is because all profits from the tickets uh, go towards our programs with Monash and make them sustainable. So it's going to actually creating real change. Dr. Anita Heiss is a proud member of the Wiradjuri Nation of Central New South Wales. She's a writer, a runner, a fake football fan and a lifetime ambassador of the Indigenous Literacy Foundation. She's also the manager of the Epic Good Foundation and we are so delighted to have you with us. Anita, are you a footy fan? Oh, I I like the word fake. Look, I have teams. There are teams that I go for, but I have said that I will wear any colours if we can raise money for literacy. So, Well, that sounds fair and reasonable. Um, Tell us about your work with the Epic Good Foundation and how that intersects with social issues and sport and predominantly football. Yeah, great. So I manage the Epic Good Foundation, which is office based in Brisbane. It's obviously national. Um, the core areas that Epic like to focus on are closing the gap, uh, gender equity, health and education. So both the co-founders, Stuart Giles and Kathy Reid, are health professionals. They have backgrounds in pharmacy. Uh, also co-founders of the Icon Group, which is the largest cancer care provider in Australia. So they recognise their capacity and their role to be able to participate 
uh, at a community level in making some change through their philanthropy. So um, I've come on board in 2015 when they set up the foundation to broker some partnerships at a community level and to help maintain the partnerships they had. One was with the Hawthorne Football Club and their Indigenous program over five years and we introduced through my background the Indigenous Literacy Foundation into that relationship. So now uh, the Hawthorne Football Club are supporting literacy projects um, in two states at, at the moment. So one or more than two states, I should say. We've had books done up in Catherine, the Jarwin community. So I worked with the young fellows up there on an anthology and they're about to do another book with David Lawrence and Jared Thomas. And we'll be launching this year on Indigenous Literacy Day a book with the girls for girls from Warrawa College in Hillsville, and that's been supported by uh, Hawthorne as well. So that's the, they're trying to look at ways in which players can be engaged also on the ground in projects, and Cyril Rioli is one of our current poster boy for the ILS, uh, which is great, and encouraging young fans of his to pick up books as well. So um, there's a number of projects that I could talk at nauseam about. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Anita, why have you chosen to focus on Indigenous literacy? Why is that so important? Um, it's a good question. And, and honestly, sometimes people assume it's because I'm an author that illiteracy is important to me or, and because I'm an Aboriginal woman that, that um, that's my reason for doing it. But it's not, actually. I am passionate about literacy for all Australian kids um, all Australians generally, because I know the opportunities that are created when we can read. And I am who I am today, I am where I am, and I have the life that I have because I have had access to fantastic resources and, and education and teaching and um, and I have the capacity to make decisions for myself every day, whether it's reading labels on food or following street signs or looking, being no... no knowing when there's danger um, and I know that's because I have literacy and I think uh, you live in down in Melbourne and I live in Brisbane and you know we're surrounded by fantastic public libraries and there's hundreds of communities around this country um, largely remote indigenous communities who do not have access to the resources to so that our kids can learn so I'm passionate about that I want our young people to have um, every opportunity that you and I have uh, or as many opportunities as possible and those opportunities come from being able to read and write in the English language. Yeah. So can you explain some of the outcomes that you've seen as a result of this work that you're doing? So in terms of, I've been an ambassador, I'm a lifetime ambassador with the ILS, and in terms of working with them, the, the, we're looking at changes in attendance, attendance rates at schools, we're looking at um, young people reading to adults and so forth, and evaluations are being conducted um, in various communities to, show, to, to see how the impact of having books in the hands of young children before they reach school, how that can change their capacity to learn in the classroom. Because we are, the statistics that we've had over the years show that, um, you know, 15-year-olds, a large proportion of 15-year-olds are leaving school without adequate literacy levels, which means they're going into adulthood still relying on non-Indigenous people making decisions for them. And that's that's not how the world should be today. And also kids arriving at school for their, you know, first days at school at five, having never had a relationship with books before. And for many of us and many of your listeners, um, that that's 
quite an extraordinary thing to consider. Mind you, these kids can well, can play football um, with skill that you and I and most of us will never have. <laughs> it's in, interesting in bringing football back into the conversation. Um, Kathy Reid, of course, who is one of the founders of the Epic Good Foundation, is on the board of the Brisbane Lions. And I know yes. you've mentioned that um, you do a lot of work with Hawthorne as well. How is it that you use football and why do you use football to assist the conversation around literacy? Well, the thing is, if you go into most remote communities, there's at least one football being kicked around all the time and it's something that brings... Um, communities together, whether it's AFL or NRL, because I was in Redfern when South won the grand final a few years ago, and uh, I saw firsthand the way in which football unites communities. So I think football is a great starting point for having conversations about bigger issues. And when I went up to Catherine, I had never worked with a group of young teenage men before, and I was thinking, what am I going to do to get them to write? And we watched the first quarter of the grand final um, of 2015. I think it was Hawks played West Coast. And we watched the first quarter. And then they all wrote a fictional story about what it would be like to walk out onto the MCG on grand final day with 90,000 people chanting. And, you know, the principal at the school we were at said, you know, those boys had written more in a morning than they'd written an entire term. So it, it's something they love and... If, I want, if we want to get young people engaged in reading and writing, they need to be, see themselves on the page. It's as simple as that. Anita, I've seen you described as a creative disruptor. Can you explain what that means? Well, I think you girls are probably creative disruptors as well. <laughs> it's, we are very creative in disrupting the status quo. So I'm mm. assuming in your industry the status quo has largely been men talking about this sport. And so you have creatively create, created, I should say, this this space where women are controlling the conversation as well. Um, so if you're not making a change, if you are not disrupting the status quo, what is it you're doing with your life? So I try to use, and that's not a criticism, it's just a question. You <laughs> see, <laughs> all your listeners, what are you doing with your life today? Can I say that? Get out and do something. No, no, these are questions for myself. Um, and so I try to use writing and books and commercial women's novels and, you know, books in for kids and everything to to disrupt the way in which Australians consider uh, Aboriginal people in the 21st century. So, um, you know, so I will write a novel similar to a Carrie Bradshaw. Uh, we, I call myself Curry Bradshaw. And, <laughs> and uh, oh, I like you got that joke. Loved it. And, and so I wrote a couple of novels in that same sort of genre about, you know, sexy, sassy, educated, articulate uh, Aboriginal women who like to shop and have sex. They're all the things that other women like to do. However, um, you know, also have uh, an accountability and commitment to community. So, that, you know, they're all, and having conversations about identity and inter- Indigenous intellectual property and uh, native title and so forth um, to say, well, yeah, yes, we are women as well, but we also have this other complexity that we're dealing with. And, and the reality that, like, for instance, my characters some of which may or may not be based on me, (laughs) often have many first dates that turn into cultural awareness training workshops. (laughs) And sometimes the character just wants to eat a piece of cheesecake and, Mm. and talk about 
world politics because we live in a global village as well. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. We've um, some of the other smart, sexy um, Indigenous women we love talking to who can talk about native title or sex in the city are Tanya Hosh and Belinda Duarte, um, who will be featuring in the Epic Good Kick On for Literacy event, which you have invited me to moderate. It's a comedy. It's a is it a comedy debate? Are we going to call it a comedy debate? Well, let's not keep the bar too high. <laughs> This is great news. No, 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 no. We, we, the goal is to, to be funny. And obviously I've handpicked people. Um, and Tanya, so it's myself and Belinda and Graham Simpson. And we're, we're obviously, we'll be debating for the library being sexier than the locker room. And Graham and I did it last year. And the topic was the book is better than the ball. And we had so much fun. Uh, and our moderator for that last year was Sam Moston, who would you, who you would know. And, um, and so it will be arguing against Tanya Hosh uh, from ASL Diversity and uh, Campbell Brown, former Hawks, and uh, David Lawrence, who wrote all the Fox Swift books. So I think, I will tell you, the boys are so competitive. <laughs> There's the girls, no surprise there. <laughs> you know, the girls will just get up, look gorgeous, be witty and fabulous, and wow, everybody. But the boys are already arguing on Twitter. It's hilarious. Oh, it's so funny. I think there'll be lots of people who want to get along. We're going to put all the details on our website. It's, it's, for, it's if you're in Melbourne, because that, um, it's at Queen's College the Melbourne Uni campus. So um, that's going to be a great way to all the money goes into that, goes into um, your literacy programs for Indigenous youth. And it's it's obviously an event that people are flocking to because the, the Twitter conversations are hilarious and so funny to get on those long, those long tweet streams. That's right. Like Shelley Ware, she she can't come because she'll be on Mangrook that night, but she did it last year. And she, she's, I think her and David Lawrence have had a coffee and already plotted something for the evening anyway. But it's going to look, we've got the debate, we've got Archie Roach singing, we've got an Archie Roach signed guitar that we're, we're auctioning off. Um, we've got um, Hawthorne has uh, do- donated a fantastic game day experience and signed Guernseys for um, Buddy Hawks fans and we've got loads of raffle prizes and beautiful hand-painted boots. 40 Boots by Luke Penrith from um, Savvy Penny Link. So we're, you know, hoping to raise a good chunk of coin for the Indigenous Literacy Foundation. And it wouldn't have been possible without the fantastic uh, hosts there at, at Queen's College at Melbourne University. They have been all over it. And of course, um, Hawthorne Football Club. So it will be a night. It is a night where lovers of football and lovers of books uh, come together in the spirit of, well, it's Reconciliation Week, so in the spirit of reconciliation and uh, have a good time, all for a good cause. That event, of course, is the debate. Are you team library or are you team locker room? You can get along and see Anita Heiss, Graham Simerson, Belinda Duarte, David Lawrence, Tanya Hosh and Campbell Brown. And, of course, I'll be there as well trying to be the umpire. It's on the 30th of May um, in Melbourne if you are around. Uh, you can get tickets from uh, ilf.org.au. Uh, or you can go to Indigenous Literacy Foundation um, on their Instagram or Twitter. Thanks to Anita Heiss. Hey, um, did you guys see? This was absolutely beautiful. Thanks to Tiana Ernst. We got sent the most beautiful oh, thing this it was week. just gorgeous. So Diana Haynes, a footballer who um, is now playing for the Hawthorne VFLW team, had played 139 games for Diamond Creek and had also played, I think, about 10 games back in junior years at Surrey Park. 
And she ran out for her first game with Hawthorne on the weekend. She had her little daughter in her arms. It was Mother's so Day cute. and it was her 150th. Oh and goodness. it was just beautiful because um, some of her teammates from Diamond Creek had got along and she had a banner that was half Dymo, half Hawks. And for me, it just sums up the... Um, the the footy playing career of a lot of the women that we see that it can be checkered, it can be across different clubs, that sometimes things happen where, you know, I'm sure Diana would have loved to have um, continued playing with Diamond Creek, but because of changes to the VFL league, she, you know, Diamond Creek isn't fielding a team in that competition anymore. So um, her playing career has been um, put on hold while she's had a baby and there they all were. So family, friends, old clubs, new clubs, history, future, made me cry. Amazing. And another thing that we saw was Lauren Arnell posted this, unbelievable, a picture of her mum, 68-year-old AFL debutante on the weekend, played her first game. I was like, oh, it's my awesome. goodness, it's never over. You all look happy about that. Do you know how much that's come back to bite me? Because I was showing it to my partner. He's like, right, well, what's your excuse? <laughs> I'm like, so thank you very much, Lauren Arnell's mum. <laughs> inspiring. Mrs. That's Arnell. Hilarious. Mrs. Arnell, unbelievable. Oh, I just wanted to mention something quickly uh, to keep your eye out for, and we'll keep people posted about this, but the Ida Sports was founded by Laura Youngson in June of last, uh, yeah, last year after she set the Guinness world records for the highest altitude soccer match. Remember we yes, chatted, right. we chatted yes. to her last year. And um, they've got a fundraising uh, thing going on, a Kickstarter campaign starting May 29th, and they are looking to share a boot. And I, I'm not being Canadian, a boot, <laughs> but I'm so, sorry, I love Canadians, so I'm sorry about that. But they're putting a prototype to have an amazing female boot because they're saying that the boot was designed for young men and uh, boys and that they're going to come out with a, a female version which will enhance the playing of the female sports people. So just keep your eye out and we will – hopefully we'll chat to her or someone from the team from – uh, Ida Sports later. That's unbelievable. Love I can't it. believe that hasn't been looked at when we talk about all the injuries and the, you know, all of the different things that happen with women's bodies to men's bodies. How good could Sam Kerr be with an actual boot designed for a female foot? She probably, surely she has a boot designed for herself. You would have thought so. You would have thunk it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so something completely beautiful happened on the weekend. <laughs> um, we, you will remember that at the end of the AFLW season, Kate Sear penned a tribute song to season two of the AFLW. We attempted to sing it and made an absolute meal of it in the studio. And we were singing with a backing track. Singing, I'm not sure we could call it singing. I don't think it was singing. I had a really husky voice. It was a bit spoken word. I was silent. But something lovely happened is that a super fan, Andy, he said he would have a go at turning it into an actual song and he's learnt the entire thing. He put it on YouTube and it is the most stunning um, love letter to the AFLW. It brought the whole song back to life. Like it was actually, I likened it to Bernie Taupin and Elton John (laughs) and said that, you know, he's really done an Elton John on a Kate Sear Taupin 
um, production. So his voice. His voice is stunning, absolutely beautiful, and it was just an amazing thing to sit and watch. And, Andy, we have to tell you that we all cried listening to it. It made us feel all the feels, and I think it was something about seeing the vision of you sitting in your bedroom and thinking, gosh, we've really reached out to you somehow through the pod and that you've taken the time to learn, like, 74 different versions <laughs> of this song <laughs> and you put your own special Collingwood flavour on it as well. It was just beautiful. So we'd love to play out the episode with it for you today. Uh, so thank you very much, Andy, and thanks to everyone who keeps getting in touch. We're getting so much um, correspondence at the moment and we love it. We will see you next week. Nothing left to say but go footy. Go footy. Go footy. Thanks, guys. Long, long time ago I can still remember They got their chance, they could make those big crowds dance, oh how they did, in AFLW Season 2. The opening night it made us shiver, signs in the sky that planes delivered, we headed down to Princess Park, and watched footy in the dark, and I can't remember if I cried, when Sue Alberti went in through the other side. The shame of gate gate gave way to pride Rainbow flags players side by side So my, my, this season sure was a ride From the first one now far we've come Left us feeling inspired Them good old girls played the game of their lives Singing they filled our hearts with such pride They all filled our hearts with such pride